Back to the Clemson podcast. College football is back. Cock Commander gave way to the general. Clemson is undefeated and life is good. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Nick, and this is our Clemson 2022 football season preview episode. Just got me tonight, everybody. Um, still sorting out some of our host availability here for the podcast this season. Um, hope to get Ben and Cody and some other guests here on the podcast very soon. Um, but you got me tonight. Going to be taking us through the season preview here. Figured we'd start out a little bit with what's changed with this team, what we can expect this year. Um, take us through the schedule a little bit. Then I actually want to turn it over to you and your questions. Um, we're really going to rely on the wisdom of crowds here. A little bit of a mailbag episode um, to tee up the storylines for this season that we can go through together. Figure out what will dictate the, the fate of Clemson's season this year. Um, But so excited to have football back. Obviously, this last weekend was week zero. By the time you're listening to this, first games of week one will be taking place on Thursday, um, I guess September 1st. So really excited to have it back. Uh, It was fun to watch some games this last weekend. But let's turn to Clemson. Let's turn to this season. Uh, Clemson comes in, finished last season, obviously somewhat of a disappointment based on the heights that Clemson as a program has had in recent years. But finished the season strong, Uh, ended with a 10 and three mark, um, what is it, the 11th consecutive season, hitting that 10-win mark, cheese of bowl champions, and finished 14th in the college football playoff rankings for the year. While certainly three losses, you know, not not something that everyone was very excited about last year, um, and certainly marked a lot of, you know, change in the program, um, will remain to be seen if that was sort of a blip on the radar, and I think we'll get into some of that here in this preview episode. And indeed, you know, as Clemson faces off with Georgia Tech, um, but I think there was a lot to take away from last year, a lot of progress throughout the season. And in that cheese bowl uh, with new coordinators coming in, really some promising signs in terms of what um, the new era of coordinators and coaching staff pretends for this team. So let's start with the rankings. Uh, Clemson entered this season at number four in the coaches poll. About a week or two later, the first AP poll came out also at number four. Um, so it's not just really Clemson fans and Clemson media that really thinks this team is poised for a bounce back. Um, Coaches, fellow coaches across the country, they are the ones that really do see, you know, when they examined the top of the sport, they really do see Clemson as being right there, maybe in that second tier behind the Alabamas of the world, next to Ohio State, next to Georgia, but ahead of such teams as Oklahoma, um, Texas A&M, USC, Utah, Notre Dame, a lot of hype teams out there. Uh, But I think that that is a sign of respect for Clemson, a sign of respect for what Dabo Sweeney has built and just for the talent that this team is bringing back this year. When we look at some of the advanced stats, uh, Bill Connolly, his SP plus advanced rankings has Clemson actually ranked fifth. 
that's going to be heavily influenced at this point by returning production and the talent that Clemson has coming back, the number of snaps from some key roles. In terms of rankings overall, in terms of returning production, Clemson's coming in 30th in Bill Connolly's SP Plus influenced rankings. Um, Ohio State, <coughs> incidentally, I think there's something like 26th or 25th in the country. Really never do you see a college football playoff or national championship contending caliber team ranked that highly, like have that much returning production coming back. Just by virtue of you do have guys graduating, going to the NFL a little bit early. It's hard for these programs and these teams to compile that much talent and have it coming back. Um, So it's unique. I think that Clemson and Ohio State are sort of in that boat. Um, I think with the Georgias and the Alabamas, they're much further down in the rankings. Um, they, you know, those teams did lose a significant amount of their previous experience and players and depth uh, to the NFL and to transfers. So um, that's kind of a you know in the broader uh, national championship contending landscape, something to look at. Um, I think specifically for Clemson and probably Ohio State as well, some of that has to do with guys that opted to come back for another year of eligibility. Some of that was aided by the 2020 COVID season. Uh, So we're really pumped about some of the returning production and the guys coming back on Clemson, which we'll get into here. Um, So in general, you know, Clemson, rough year last year by a lot of metrics, but have certainly bounced back. And I think there's a lot of optimism for this team, you know, from the fan base and obviously the respect of other coaches that are out there. Um, So that that sets up like what's what's really changed from last year to this year um, that gives people that optimism. Um, I can say those those that are critics of the Clemson team are going to point to a couple of things. First of all, being coaching staff changes. Um, Brent Venables, he's now the head coach at OU. Tony Elliott, now the head coach at UVA. Um, there are quite a few other uh, court, other changes on the coaching staff this year. Um, we went through this earlier in the summer with Jarrett um, on a guest appearance that he had. And we really talked about you know that transition from Tony Elliott to Brandon Streeter and Kyle Richardson. And that transition from Brent Venables to Wes Goodwin and Mickey Kahn as co-OCs and co-DCs respectively. Um, I think what we've seen since with other coaching positions, Robbie Caldwell moving to an off-field role and Thomas Austin coming in, um, we've heard a lot of great stuff coming out of the fall camp here about offensive line and some of the true freshmen that have come in and some development and some shifting around that's been going on. You know, a lot of optimism with the Clemson coaching staff and the beat, the beat writers about how this O-line is going to take some of that returning production and that experience and turn that into a, a productive line. Obviously remains to be seen, like what kind of pass pro they get facing off with tough defenses this year in the likes of NC State, Notre Dame, and Miami. (coughs) But signs are looking good, and I think Thomas Austin has certainly been doing a good job on the recruiting trail as well. Sticking with recruiting, Nick Eason, he's come in to replace Todd Bates, who followed Venables out to OU. Um, This is one when Todd Bates left. I think a lot of Clemson fans were really worried about the departure of Venables. What was that going to mean to recruiting? Todd Bates was a critical recruiter for Clemson defense over the years, um, brought in a lot of household names for us, um, along with Venables. So I think Dabo made a complete home run hire with Nick Eason. He's going to coach the defensive tackles and help out a bit with the defensive ends as well. Um, he brings Super Bowl NFL player pedigree. He was prior to Clemson at Auburn. Um, Nick Eason, former Clemson player, just really infusing a lot of high energy and cult- into the Clemson culture. Um, and he's made a significant impact on the recruiting trail so far. So um, when we talk about, um, you know, we'll talk about the impact on recruiting in the long term for the program and what that means. But again, home run hire. We have yet to see what Nick Eason's impact will be with these players on the field. 
Uh, but everything we've seen so far, we're really liking out of him. Yeah, another kind of under-the-radar update from the coaching staff as we wrap up here. Uh, special teams is now going to be led by corners coach Mike Reed. He's taking that role over from Mickey Kahn, who one year ago took that over from uh, Danny Pierman, who moved into an off-field role in the program. I'm really excited about this. Um, you know, obviously, cornerback is going to be a critical position, and Mike Reed has a lot of work to do there, um, establishing depth and establishing development from young guys at that position. Um, but I really think he's he's committed and dedicated on the special teams front, and um, that's going to be an area that's really important, you know, to this this year's team. Um, sometimes sometimes it's a bit of an afterthought, so we'll kind of dig into special teams and what we can expect. But across the board, it's clear Clemson is promoted from within. There's been a lot of questions about that. Like, is that a critique on Dabo? Is he just is this just Dabo continuing to be, you know, stubborn, set in his ways? And I mean, I I gotta say. <coughs> I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt from from our fans. And it's not like, I mean, yes, last year we were calling for, you know, an infusion of new ideas um, and an infusion of kind of new blood to the coaching staff. And um, I think we do have that. I mean, yes, you know, a lot of these guys were already on the staff at Clemson, um, but a lot of them are not that far removed from stints in the NFL. Um, Nick Eason came over from Auburn. He, you know, an SEC defensive coach, like he's bringing a lot of, a lot of that, you know, those concepts and those experiences and those matchups with some of the most elite programs in the country. Um, Auburn did a pretty good job last year containing that near national championship Alabama team. So, um, you know, again, like, no, we did not go out and sign like a sexy OC hire or a sexy DC hire. I don't really know who's going to be available, to be honest, as well. Time will tell on these hires whether this was the right move or not. Um, but I think, you know, Dabo's history and track record. Um, and just preserving that culture at Clemson, I think is something that, you know, there is a lot of merit to, and I'm personally excited to see how this coaching staff gels and evolves together. I don't know that we're going to have an answer to this question this season. Um, I'm certainly going to try to exert some patience on this as well in terms of, you know, if we, if we do see some bumps, that's only going to be natural. Um, but I think you also have to weigh the downside of bringing somebody else in who would be very tempted to try to make, you know, introduce change for change's sake and cannot start to, you know, erode some of that well-established Clemson culture potentially, or just, you know, change the kind of change the room or change the complexion of the team. Um, I'm, I'm comfortable with them kind of sticking what works, go with the formula of the tried and true. Touched a little bit here on coaching. I think as we look ahead to the schedule, um, pretty manageable schedule overall for Clemson. In the out of conference this year, of course, we have South Carolina. Our FCS opponent is going to be Furman. Group of five will be Louisiana Tech. And then Clemson travels to Notre Dame. So this will be yet another year where our marquee out of conference matchup will not be taking place at Death Valley. Excited about that Notre Dame matchup. Going to be going out to South Bend to take that one in. Wasn't able to travel in 2020. So that's going to be really fun to get out there in November uh, for that game. Hope to see a lot of you all out there as well. Um, then, of course, we have the ACC slate, our coastal opponents, of course, Georgia Tech every year. Clemson also hosts Miami. It's going to be a great game later on in the season right before South Carolina, uh, which will be at Clemson this year. So, um, you know, as far as kind of the breakdown of the schedule, the, the timeline of the schedule, start at Georgia Tech this for, in week one. And we get a couple, couple games at home. Um, a game that looked to be a little bit tricky early on um, was going to be that Wake Forest game. So, Clemson certainly handled Wake last year, um, but everyone's really expecting Wake with um, Sam Hartman was going to be coming back and they were, you know, poised to build on a really successful 2021. Well, Sam Hartman is out with a yet undisclosed 
medical situation, uh, or it's not really an injury, but an undisclosed medical situation, Clemson's likely going to miss Sam Hartman. And look, last year, he didn't necessarily give the Tigers any trouble. That game was at Death Valley. I thought it was the best game Clemson played the entire season. Um, So not too worried about Wake. I think that game will be, you know, they're not just going to roll over without Sam Hartman. They'll still have a pretty potent offense. Um, So that game will be a good test ahead of an NC State game. I can't wait for Clemson to slap the cigar out of Dave Doran's mouth, you know, claiming he won the ACC last year, smoking a cigar after a double overtime win against a depleted Clemson team. Um, We really owe Dave some comeuppance here this year in Clemson. But make no mistake, that will be a tough matchup. That will be a tough game. Um, Then Clemson goes on the road two weeks in a row to Boston College and to Florida State. It could be a little bit of a letdown game after that NC State game. Um, especially up on the road in Chestnut Hill in early October. Um, so keep an eye on Boston College. They've got you know a, a solid, solid defense. And if Phil Dracovic can put things together at the quarterback position, they could be a little bit pesky. Not too worried about them though. Um, in Florida State, you know they basically played a, a middle school uh, football team in Week One from Duquesne from Pittsburgh. Um, look, I'm not too worried about the Knolls yet. It would be nice if they would bounce back one of these days so our strength of schedule would improve. But uh, this will not be the year where they do that. So not too worried about that. And honestly, going back to Tallahassee after what was pulled in 2020, really looking forward to Clemson. You know, I don't think Dabo's forgotten about that too much yet. Um, Syracuse is after Florida State. That's our homecoming game. We will see if Dino Babers is still their coach by that point in the season. Then Clemson gets the bye week ahead of Notre Dame. It's going to be a true freshman uh, quarterback at Notre Dame this year. I think they have returning production on defense. Um, but first-year head coach, first-year offensive system, I don't know. I think Notre Dame might be overrated coming into this, se- into this season. But uh, you know they're going to have some time to kind of work things out. So I think it's a well-timed matchup. Should be a fun game. Louisville, this is <laughs> Diet Lamar Jackson against Diet Deshaun Watson. Uh, they're going to be shadows, far cry shadows from the 2016 matchup. Um, but this is a home game for Clemson. Look, Louisville talked a lot of smack about last year's game, you know, slipping away from them. They always do that. Um, they've yet to beat us. I don't think this is the year it's going to happen. Uh, but Malik Cunningham certainly wants to beat Clemson really bad. If you've read any of his offseason comments, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that matchup. I want to continue this streak against Louisville, you know, almost as bad as any other streak that Clemson has going. Um, just, I don't, I don't want to hear it from those guys if they ever beat us. After Louisville, Clemson does get Miami. This is the first year for Mario Cristobal, their head coach. Um, I don't know. I'm not seeing, you know, first year that team making a big leap. You know, they definitely um, have lit up the recruiting trail. Um, but those guys have not yet joined the program, not yet joined the team. They are the, that's going to be like the 2023 class and so on. So um, not too concerned about Miami just yet. They do have a solid quarterback um, and that Van Dyke kid. So we'll have to see. That's one you can kind of circle as probably going to be a better matchup later on, depending on where both these teams are. Uh, but we'll have to keep, keep an eye on that. And then lastly, <coughs> South Carolina. Wrap up the season in Death Valley with South Carolina. They brought in Spencer Rattler. Obviously, yet another year of the Beamer era. Um, I, I have a feeling Rattler is going to wish he stayed on OU or transferred to another school after facing off the likes of Brian Brzee. Miles Murphy, Xavier Thomas will be back on the team by then. Uh, not too concerned about South Carolina this year. So overall, this is a pretty manageable schedule, like I said. I mean, it's nice to have 
four or five preseason ranked teams on the schedule at the start. We'll see how many teams, you know, toward the end of the year are going to remain ranked. Um, again, it would be nice for the ACC to start putting teams consistently into the top 10. Maybe Dave Doran figures things out at NC State. Maybe that can be them. Um, but it's good we have Notre Dame on our schedule. I'll just I'll leave it at that uh, because we need all the help we can get. Don't expect South Carolina to be ranked toward the end of the year. Um, so this is a manageable schedule. This is a schedule Clemson can handle. Clemson can make its way into the college football playoff against this schedule. Are there a couple of losses potentially lurking on this schedule? I think there could be um, if Clemson can't get some key things figured out on both sides of the ball. But I'm expecting Clemson to be roughly a touchdown favorite in each one of these matchups this year, uh, barring barring crazy injury or something else going awry for the team. So, um, you know, that that's that's up pretty well. I think in Vegas, Clemson is something like <coughs> a ten and a half uh, win totals. And um, a lot of people are taking the over on that one to get to 11 wins. Um, I think 11 wins is probably a pretty, pretty reasonable expectation for the schedule. With that, why don't we move on to your reader questions? Just so we can dig in a little bit on some of the you know, finer points and details of this team. So in this next segment, we'll be going through your reader questions. Um, thanks to everyone who submitted a question here. Um, just to figure out like what are what are you all hoping to know about this team? You know, what do we what do we feel like is going to happen and how's this gonna break down some of the key storylines? Um, if you want to submit a question, happy to read it on air in an upcoming episode. You can submit a question to us, clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to shoot us a DM as well on Twitter or on our Facebook page. We're basically Clemson Podcast on both of those. Um, so thanks again to those who submitted. I'm going to start out here. Um, reader, or sorry, listener, uh, John in Atlanta submitted the following. Uh, DJU is all anyone can talk about. If he's an average quarterback, well above last year, but nowhere near his promise. Is that enough for you guys to bench DJ for Cade? Uh, thanks for that question, John. Basically, you're saying, look, if DJ's improved, uh, but not quite, you know, the DJ we saw in 2020, or the the hyped up five star, you know, top recruit in the nation, um, who's purported to be, is that enough to bench him for Cade Klubnik? You know, this year's five star uh, quarterback coming in for Clemson, not to be confused with five star Hunter Johnson, also on the roster. Um, great question i mean look like i think the, the real answer is it depends like what is Cade showing us in these games is Cade looking like he's a world beater and lighting stuff up and you know really has chemistry and connection with the wide receivers you know yeah let's like i could i could certainly see Cade winning the job out outright from dj um i think you know let's say Cade is just about as average as dj there you know do, do the, does the coaching staff do this sort of as a way to move on from dj or you know, I, I don't see this coaching staff necessarily punishing DJ here, you know, if, if that plays out. Um, but I think what you probably wanted to know, John, is like, what do we think will happen here? And um, everything we're reading from fall camp, I think we heard rumblings over the summer of DJ's dedication, his focus, his commitment to, you know, his body and improving that and weight loss and, you know, working on technique with his game. All of the hype, all of the good things building up to DJ this year is that he is going to be an improved player. We got to see it on the field, and um, you know, I think what we what we talked about in an episode over the summer um, with Jarrett was, you know, there there are many factors that I think led to DJ's poor performance last year um, that compounded on one another, and many of those things are unlikely to happen again this year. We talked about um, him starting the year getting a little bit in his own head against a vicious defense in that Georgia game and the pressure of that moment, I think, you know, stuck with DJ 
um, and really not living up to the to the hype in that game really stuck with DJ and affected him later on. Don't expect that to really be the case this year. Um, certainly, if he struggles to begin the season, maybe you think there could be something between the ears going on there. That could happen, of course. I'm not expecting it against the likes of Georgia Tech, Furman, Louisiana Tech, and even a Wake Forest defense that wasn't very good last year. So um, I'm not really expecting that to happen. Offensive line, look, DJ basically started last year, the first month of the season, without a capable center. Um, all, all signs are pointing to Putnam being pretty good, the O-line being solid this year. Um, and then wide receiver and running back injuries. A lot of his key playmakers were not available or not really up to the task last year at the beginning of the year. Um, this year, looking to be a lot healthier at the position. We actually have a slot receiver this year, not someone who's been moved over to play slot. So I think there's a lot of things pointing to a bounce back year for DJ. The question is, is he is he going to be that average quarterback that you called out? Or is he going to take that leap, get back to his you know elite playmaker status? If he does that, 12 and 0, or 13 and 0 playoff run, like fully in the sights. Um, if he is not that, you know, the degree to which he is not that, I think is going to matter. Um, and then do we think Cade Klubnik's ready for this? Um, we'll talk a little bit later about DJ, other things DJ can do to power this offense. Um, but how ready for the moment is Cade Klubnik going to be? I mean, I think Clemson is in a in an advantage position this year versus last year where Cade Klubnik is that plan B guy where Tyson Pumachan, we, you know, we, we love Tyson. He was never going to take that off, take that quarterback job away from DJ. Um, we saw time and again, you know, in moments when I think this year, if DJ plays like that again, he will get benched for Cade. Tyson Pumachan was not, not ready to take that over a year ago. Um, so again, I think the quarterback position, we will see that, that level of play bounce back for this Clemson team. I think that's going to translate into a, you know, much different feeling games for the team. Hopefully some leads where they can get, get guys like Kate Klubnik and, you know, younger guys on the offense and reps. Um, we weren't seeing that last year. Clemson was a lot in a lot of, not only one score games at the end come from behind victories and, you know, goal line stands to prevent, you know, the opposing team from taking the lead back. So, um, you know, long story short, I do expect the quarterback position to be improved this year. Am I in or out on DJ as the QB, you know, to, to lead this team? Time will tell. Um, I think you can talk me into Cade Klubnik eventually replacing DJ this year, um, just based on things like, you know, footwork and accuracy, not really being things that, you know, you can, you can improve all that much from one season to the next. Um, but I'd certainly believe that things like kind of confidence issues that come from having, you know, less than 100% faith in your O-line, DJ obviously had a lot of you know things building up over the season from the Georgia game um, and off the field things as well. So who knows? Like we could see him come out and look like a new new man, a new quarterback. Yeah, I think you know it's kind of a wishy washy answer to do I think DJ is going to you know be the man and, and lead the team. I could see it play out either way, uh, but certainly wish him the best. He is our best shot at a national championship and a playoff run this year. So we're certainly rooting for DJ to succeed and um, you know really like the guy as well. Um, good question, John. Thank you. I'm going to move on to a question from a friend of the pod, also uh, from Atlanta, uh, Matt Golden. Uh, Matt asked us, if you're CJ Spiller and Brandon Streeter, how would you distribute the touches across the top-heavy running back room? Um, so running back room, you know, Will Shipley, uh, Kobe Pace, Phil Maffa, um, strong, you know, strong running back stable this year. 
Um, I think last year we likened the running back situation with Lynn J. Dixon coming in. I'm really expecting to get a lot of the touches as the starter. I likened that last year, the 2017 situation where you had Adam Choice and CJ Fuller coming in off the national championship season. Everyone expected them to you know, be the bell cow running backs and get the touches, but it turned out to be Etienne and Feaster that ended up taking that over. Kind of a similar role to what Shipley and Maffa, I'm sorry, Shipley and Pace did last year and a little bit Maffa as well. Um, Due to the injury, it was a pretty even breakdown between Pace, Shipley, Pace and Shipley with touches last year. Moffa certainly got his as well. Um, and then we saw a little bit less, you know, in terms of distribution from the likes of Darian Rencher, Lynn J. Dixon, and DJ running. Um, I think for this year, you know, how I, how I would like to distribute the ball. Um, obviously, Shipley was instrumental in the kick return game last year. He's going to be doing that again. And he's, he's a, definitely a threat in the passing game as well. Um, I do think Shipley makes sense to be that first option out of the backfield, but I, w- I would really like for them to be using him, you know, enough in that role to where, you know, it's not just obvious when he's out there that it's going to be screen passes or, um, you know, run pass option, that sort of thing to Shipley. Um, really, I think he can punish punish defenses as a between the tackles runner as well. Um, so really want him to see, you know, a lot of those of those first touches. Um, but I do, I do think Kobe Pace may be poised for you know to surprise some people and actually. So I, I would like to see somewhat of an even distribution of carries between Pace and Shipley this season. Um, where I'm not quite sure who plugs in is Phil Maffa. I think maybe in a third down option, you know, change of pace back or you know he, he certainly gives this team added depth um, in case there are any injury situations or you know times when hey let's let's let Shipley kind of focus. Um, in specific situational downs um, in the passing game or focus on kick returns. So, um, you know, Moffat, he's one of my favorite running backs on the team. Um, I would love to see him assert himself as he gets those carries and build up, you know, a higher percentage of the, of the touches. Um, but something that I think I'd really like to see this team do is actually have DJ get under center and in those third and shorts, like let's let, let's take advantage of the numbers and have DJ get involved in the running game a bit design runs you know encourage him to sneak out you know if the pass if the passing lanes aren't open um, but definitely in those third and shorts like use that big body of his you know to move forward i think last year we were a bit concerned about his mobility as well as injury concern you know without that plan b without that backup um, but i think w- since you have kate klubnik i'm not saying let's put dj in harm's way here um, but it, you know he he's a big dude he's not certainly the fastest guy on the field but you know, he can move a little bit and he can take a pop. Thanks for that question, Matt. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the running game is something a lot of people have been focused more on, you know, pass protection, quarterback play, wide receiver depth, all of that. Um, I don't think the running game is getting enough credit for what they did to keep our offense in games last year. And, um, you know, how this could be honestly the best running back room we've had in a long time, um, you know, top to bottom. I think ETN was, you know, an all timer. Um, in his ear, in his days at Clemson, um, this team kind of gives you a multifaceted look at running back and for situations, you know, throughout the season against specific defenses, if one of these guys isn't working out. We've got other options. We can, we can rotate guys in and rotate things around. They give you a little bit of versatility where it wasn't often that ETN got shut down, but, um, you know, I think, I think this, this team is a little bit more multiple. Our next question comes to us from Jamie in Florence, South Carolina. Thank you, Jamie. Podcast guys, why should we feel confident in a true freshman starting at right tackle? 
isn't that a bad thing? Doesn't that mean we haven't been recruiting well enough and like guys we recruited last couple years aren't up to it? Thank you for that question, Jamie. I mean, that is one way to look at it. I think what you're referencing is true freshman Blake Miller poised to take over <coughs> starting snaps on the offensive line this year. And I I am confident. I think we should feel confident in a true freshman coming in and making that kind of impact. Um, Mitch Hyatt in 2015, look no further than him. He was a four-year starter at, at left tackle. You know, He came in, um, really replaced the position of need when we had a defection to um, the supplemental draft in the NFL that year. And Mitch Hyatt came in and established himself in fall camp. Never looked back. Never gave that job back up. You know, never faltered as a freshman. I think a lot of us were hopeful for that for Marcus Peters last year, but he had the unfortunate circumstance of having to face UGA's defense in his first game as a freshman, um, and I think he was pretty outmatched in that game. I don't expect that to be so here for Blake Miller. Um, and you know, Miller was so good that. Walker Parks was willing to move to the guard position, you know, on the right side. That also enabled the team to move Will Putnam from guard over to center. So I think they hit on this guy at just the right time. Clemson's offensive line room is going to have guys coming back from injury. I'm thinking about Dietrich Pennington. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty bullish and pretty optimistic about this O-line. And Blake Miller is a huge reason for that. So um, thank you for the question. I think, Yes, like offensive line recruiting has and continues to be an issue. Shout out to QT. This has been his rallying cry for a long time. Uh, but I think with new coach Thomas Austin in there, um, certainly liking what we're seeing on the recruiting trail moving forward. Hopefully they get the right number of takes you know, and, and guys to sign on signing day this year. Uh, but yeah, feeling pretty good. And just to talk about Miller for a minute, this guy benches 400 plus, squats over 500. Um, you got offensive line you know, veterans talking about him finishing guys. And these guys are Clemson's defensive linemen. You know, Clemson's DL goes really deep. I'm sure in practice, he's not always facing up with, you know, Tyler Davis or Miles Murphy or Xavier Thomas before he got hurt. Um, but still, you know, he's not facing any defensive slouches necessarily. So yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty atypical. Uh, we shouldn't bank on having true freshmen starting at O-line every single year. That's why it's important to take a lot of guys they can build some reps over time. You know, it is unusual, but hey, it's not unprecedented at Clemson to have this happen. And honestly, I mean, the O-line last year was a big reason why I think our offense struggled. Can be a huge reason why this team can can absolutely bounce back this year. So uh, yeah, looking forward to, you know, we've got some initial signs of optimism. This was one of our humongous question marks earlier in the offseason we recorded. If the O-line is capable, that can help DJ bounce back. If DJ's, you know, up to his talent level, Look out because the rest of this team has a ton of talent. The defense is peaking at the right time. You know, this could be a national championship contending team if the quarterback and the O line components really gel and come together. All right. Our next question comes from Jeff down in Tampa. Podcast Last year, we saw so many dropped balls and poor blocking from wide receivers. How can we trust they'll be any better this year? Thank you, Jeff. Yes, uh, wide receivers. Definitely. Some of the technique stuff left a, left a lot to be desired last year. Nagging injuries, though. I think availability was was the biggest problem on, on the wide receiving core last year. We had um, Brandon Spector basically had long COVID. He was our go-to slot guy the year prior, um, you know, backing, backing up there. Um, and very effective. I think people forget about how, how important he was to that offense and moving the ball in 2020. Um, will be really good to get him back. 
Um, in terms of these wide receivers being any better at blocking or or with their hands, um, again, I think it is about getting the most talented guys back on the field. Um, but I did like what I saw down the stretch last season from the Collins twins in terms of blocking and in terms of sure-handedness. DJ absolutely established chemistry with both of those guys. They are, neither of them are number ones on the depth chart at their respective positions. You've got EJ Williams at the field and Joe Joseph Ngata often injured at the boundary. Um, those two guys represent our best opportunity for the wide receiver team to have a dynamic impact on the season. Uh, but what's nice is we have those the Collins guys out there to be you know backing them up, and you know if, if either of those guys happens to go down with injury as they've done in the past or really isn't up to the task, you know I feel pretty good with with the depth that we have behind them. Um, what I can say is also like some of that you can also hang on DJ last year and overthrows not necessarily putting the ball in the right spot, not necessarily having that chemistry, especially early on in the season with a Joe, Joe, Justin Ross, um, EJ Williams, when he was on the field, although that was not for very long. So um, look, I think like anything about offensive line cohesion there, any of the reasons why DJ was not as accurate, you know, can also, I think the wide receivers, you know, they're the last ones you see on those plays. So um, some of that blame can be, can be laid at their feet, even though maybe there were a lot of other factors involved. So I think if this year we do see a better form of DJ, see a better form of the offensive line, um, that bodes well. And I think so far we've we've heard reports out of camp of very few drops. Um, so you know I think this is going to be one for fans to look for and one for fans to continue to monitor. Um, in terms of it's it's kind of hard in the moment to keep an eye on like how effective is is wide receiver blocking, but that's where you do see the likes of our tight ends or our running backs coming out of the backfield, getting sprung for long gains. Um, you know, fairly obvious on the replays when there's a blown wide receiver block. Um, but more so the drops, I think are going to be pretty obvious. So, uh, yeah, definitely really need this team from a wide receiver standpoint to improve. I think, um, in the passing game, bringing Sewell coming back, Davis Allen coming back at the tight end position, that's going to be critical. Something we haven't really mentioned yet either is going to be the scheme. So um, with Richardson coming in, going to be a fair amount of air raid concepts. I think you're going to see different types of pass. You will absolutely see different types of pass, of pass, pass route trees and passing plays come through. Wide receiver route trees and passing plays come, play calls come through. And um, that can also set wide receivers up for success in terms of not necessarily needing to do traditional blocking downfield but really scheming these guys open. Um, the hope there is, again, DJ can establish the timing, the protection, and the chemistry with these guys you know, to de- deliver the ball in those tight spots. Um, but I referenced the tight ends. Getting them a, a bit more involved in the passing game is also going to be critical. You just really hope DJ can establish that chemistry too. Thank you for that, Jeff. All right. This is one of my favorite questions. Uh, came to us from Tammy in Sumter. Uh, Tammy, thank you for writing in. Tammy had to ask... Uh, why the hell did we promote both coordinators internally? Does Dabo want us to just have Tony 2.0 and carbon copy Brent Venables? I, we touched on it a little bit earlier with some of the coaching changes, Tammy. I mean, I think, let, let me first start off, start off with the silver lining and why I think this is a good move. Um, we do have new blood. We do have new concepts coming in with these guys. Brandon Streeter is not just a carbon copy or a repeat of Tony Elliott. He was a capable offensive coordinator on his own before he got to Clemson in his, his second stint as an assistant. Um, and I think he, he's definitely going to be a lot more lot introducing new offensive schemes. Um, look no further than them also adding Kyle Richardson to that. 
know, they're going to be doing things like simplifying decision making between DJ and the wide receivers, make things a little bit more instinctual and not as not as much about memorizing the play and that sort of thing as they had to under Tony Elliott. Um, they've also talked about attacking the middle part of the field. And, you know, we talked a little bit about some air raid concepts. I won't get into what that means schematically. In fact, if you do want to listen to that, I encourage everybody to go back and listen to our cheese it bowl preview. Um, we met with total football from shake in the Southland. He laid out a little bit what we could expect from this coaching staff this year. And I do think we saw a little bit of that play out in the cheese it bowl against Iowa state. Um, but anyway, why didn't we go out and grab a different offensive coordinator? Um, I think the Chad Morris experience is exactly what Clemson needed at the time. I don't think we had the type of on staff expertise or experience or knowledge. And, you know, I, I want to give Dabo his credit. I don't think a lot of people were that happy with the Chad Morris hire at the time either. You know, high school coach essentially um, coming in, but that certainly worked out. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I point to who who was Clemson really likely to go out there and hire for this position. I was calling for Willie Korn, keep it in the Clemson family. He's proven some success over at Coastal. Um, but I'm fine with Streeter coming in. And again, like a lot of this has to do with talent acquisition, talent development, and a deployment. Um, but also we talked about just bringing in you know, new concepts, new ideas. I think you get that with the combination of Richardson you know, coming in and being able to have that continuity with Streeter. You know, he knows the system, knows the program, knows the talent, and how to make things work with Dabo as the head coach. So I think this is, this is a, a good combo, and I feel pretty good about this. Again, it's going to take a couple years for us to truly know about that. And can these guys go out and work with Dabo to recruit, you know, the next wave of top quarterback? So far, they have 2023 class for signing Chris Vizina. So I'm feeling really good about, you know, that at least I feel relieved or kind of that part is sorted for for the team, at least for the time being. So, um, yeah, it's going to be nice. Let's flip it to the defense. You know, Brent Venables, like huge loss, huge loss for this program. No way to no way to sugarcoat that. Yes, we brought. Um, Nick Easton in, he's helping on the recruiting trail. But look, Wes Goodwin, he, I don't want to say he was the brains behind Brent Venables, but I think he at least, you know, he, he's able to retain enough of what Brent Venables brought to the table in one major aspect of, of the team, which was the defensive play calling and scheming against the opponent that I am confident, you know, about, about that promotion and that hire. Um, how that's going to work with Mickey Kahn, you know, sort of like the, the CEO or the COO of the defense, you know, has to be seen or remains to be seen. Um, but essentially if you lose BV, you're losing kind of three things like the commander of the defense, a critical recruiter and a critical play caller and schemer. And I think with the Eason and with Goodwin, you've replaced two of those three. Maybe Mickey can handle that other part or just the culture of Clemson or Dabo getting more involved, you know, can handle the cultural elements there's also a lot of long tenured defensive players on this team. So I, I feel like the leadership at the player level um, has also been good. And just in terms of what you can expect, I mean, already we've heard Wes Goodwin is simplifying some of those really complex concepts. Um, I forget exactly which player on the Clemson team talked about, you know, he came in his first year and he didn't know half of what Brent Vettables was talking about in terms of lingo and jargon within the scheme. And it really took him till his junior year to sort of figure some of that out. I think Wes Goodwin has already really taken a focused effort to simplify some of that. Um, he's also a very aggressive play caller. You know, he he wants to be <laughs> he wants to have that sort of like 
the violent, aggressive, you know, physical type of defense. Um, I think we we do have the right talent to take advantage of that this year as well. So um, will Clemson take a step back on offense or on defense this year? I really don't think so. I think the talent for 2022 is always setting up to be a good year for Clemson. Um, I think this coaching staff can make the most of that talent. And I think my biggest concerns, you heard that all throughout last year, was more looking to the future and looking for, okay, if we lose these coaches, like the trajectory of the program, where where does this the ceiling of the program go? And how crit- that really set up for a very critical class of 2023 in terms of we're going to be losing so many guys after this season, especially on defense. Um, I think with where Clemson is right now, something like a top top three, top four recruiting class in the country for 2023, the job that guys like Wes Goodwin, Nick Eason, um, Streeter, CJ Spiller, not so much Spiller because we still need a running back, um, but across the board, I think the coaching staff's done a tremendous job in the, with the 2023 class. So yeah, I feel pretty good. I don't I don't necessarily feel like hiring from the outside is a, is a cure-all either. There's kind of pros and cons to both. So um, I, again, I, I, I we said it at the top, Dabo's earned the benefit of the doubt here, Tammy. And uh, you know, trust in Dabo, and let's see what happens. All right, I'm going to move us on. Got multiple questions um, from longtime friend, friend of the show, was with us from the start, Ben in Virginia. Thank you for your questions, Ben. Um, first one, we had a DW4, we had T-Law, we had DJU, a.k.a. Big Cinco. What are we calling Cade? Let's get ahead of the curve here and come up with some nicknames together. Ben, great call. You threw out a few here. Uh, K-Clue, uh, The Club with a K, Caterade, <laughs> and... Scott Wolf's non-Styles friend from the original Teen Wolf movie. Google it. They're doppelgangers. What do you say? I did Google it, and Ben, you're right. These guys are uncanny uh, twins, some like 30 or 40 years apart. So we should probably check the, the credits on that on IMDb, um, see, see if that actor spent any time in the, in the west side of Austin um, in the early 90s. But... Um, I don't know as far as, yeah, I like the club personally. Uh, I'm, I'm down with the club. I don't know about K-Clue or Caterade. Maybe that could be like an NIL sponsorship for K-Club, Nick. But yeah, I'm going to go with the club for now. But hey, everyone else have any good ideas for this, hit us up on Twitter. Um, thank you to Ben for that question. Um, ben has another question here. Players can get paid now. That's awesome. Why can't I get a Will Shipley jersey? You know, Ben, I think that was one of the first things that they said is apparel with player names was going to be something that they sorted out early. And yeah, I was on Fanatics. I don't think you can see that yet. So clearly they haven't sorted that part out. That's a little frustrating because I think for two years now, I mean, NIL went into effect last July in 2021. Uh, It's a little disappointing. We can't get that. I don't have a good answer for you as to why. Bullshit NCAA stuff is probably the answer. Ben asked some questions I don't know the answer to about why we haven't retired a number or rings of honor, that kind of thing. Very good question. We haven't put that many guys in the ring of honor. If you just look up at the stadium, you know, the names that are there and retired. Um, So yeah, I also don't know about retiring any numbers overall. I think they sort of have an unofficial thing where Steve Fuller is number four, CJ Spiller is 28. Like those are kind of protected numbers that, uh, you know, the coaching staff just doesn't, doesn't really assign out of, homage to those players so um here and there though you've obviously gotten guys like tavian feaster request from cj spiller that you get to use that so 
I'd love to learn a little bit more about how often Clemson does consider opening those kind of things up. And last one from Ben. Um, has Clemson taken out insurance for when Brian Brzee murders a quarterback this year? Clemson, I, sh- Clemson, I sure hope, has the right type of insurance and lawyers um, to guard against that, Ben. I'm telling you, though, like that is the thing. I guess we had that. Was it against Boston College? I think there was that safety in the end zone back in 2020. Um, we haven't yet really had that that moment where Brzee just gets loose in the backfield against a quarterback or a running back. Um, man, I, I, I really hope this guy can stay healthy. Just such a beast, such a physical specimen. Really wish for him, you know, the best end of his Clemson career. Um, he's got more eligibility. You know, if he if he feels the need to run it back for the 2023 season, I hope I hope he considers doing that. Uh, but yeah, Brzee, he's from up there in Maryland, not far from you, Ben. Um, yeah, he 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 definitely. I think could inflict some some harm against a quarterback this season. So hope they hope they have good insurance as well. All right, one of our last questions here came to us from Chris in Denver. Thank you, Chris, uh, first person west of the Mississippi to uh, send us a mailbag question here. Uh, Chris wanted to know: Clemson special teams tend to be an afterthought for all but the most diehard fans, but after tight games last season and some uncertainty this year. How should we feel about BT Potter, the return game, and Shutters Punter? Um, lots to unpack here. You know, special teams, I agree. Like, when the offense is firing, when the defense is elite, really, special teams w- was not making or breaking Clemson teams, you know, from the 2015 to the 2021 season or 2020 season. Um, I think last year, BT Potter doesn't get enough credit for what he meant to this team and that offense. Um, to have him coming back this year, very critical, especially if there's still some question marks about, you know, DJ running the offense and that kind of thing to have BT Potter, you know, there that Mr. Reliable in the kicking game. Um, I think that dude definitely could have gotten drafted highly in the NFL. The, coming back for this year at Clemson is only going to establish him for, you know, that much, that much more of a, a sure draft pick next year. Um, I'm just happy to have the guy back on the team. So we should feel great about having BT Potter, Chris. Um, as far as the return game goes, I'm also pretty bullish on this team. We we haven't seen, you know, a Clemson guy rip a kick return in years now. Um, I think it's been an embarrassingly long drought. Um, our good friend of the show, John McElhaney, before the 2021 season, wrote an awesome article about special teams over at Shaking the Southland. You shall, you all should go check that out because a lot of his assertions are still very valid. We do have a lot of the same personnel coming back this year to man these positions. Um, I think a couple names I'll throw out, obviously Shipley in the kick return game. I think Shipley could be the guy or will be the guy to rip off the first kick return touchdown for Clemson in a really long time. Um, the good news is we also have wide receiver Will Taylor is going to be back. He's kind of a all-purpose you know, sort of um, utility player, if you want to call it that. Haha, <laughs> he's also a baseball player. Um, will Taylor is likely going to be involved in the punt return game. And again, I think he's pretty shifty. He's got that that um, high-end speed you know, to be able to make things happen in the punt return game. <laughs> Fortunately, I, I don't think we're going to have Sweeney guys, or Sweeney's out there, you know, fielding kicks, fielding, fielding punts. Um, hopefully we've got the depth to not need that to happen. All love to the Sweeney, Sweeney sons. Um, but yeah, the return game, I feel pretty bullish on that. I think where things get a little dicey with the special teams play is going to be at punter. Will Spires has exhausted his eligibility. Um, on the depth chart, we got an or. They just Clemson just released the depth chart. BT Potter is potentially a starting punter. Um, 
along with Aiden Swanson. Aiden Swanson has been around for a couple of years and has not really established himself as the go-to punter, the Mr. Reliable there. So uh, I think it's going to be a little bit of try both, see what sticks, you know, kind of thing. Um, punter costs us the 2015 Natty. I'm convinced about that. If Bradley Pinion comes back to Clemson instead of going one year early to the NFL, yeah, I think we could have pinned Alabama deep and exerted ourselves and won an Addy out of that. But yeah, in this one, whew, I like. I think Clemson does need to get aggressive in trying to block punts. You know, field position game is going to be very critical this year. If we can't rely on our own punting game, maybe this results in going for it a little bit more on fourth down when otherwise we would punt. Um, it's going to be a scary situation. I don't know. I'm really hoping Aiden Swanson. Once we get into the the meat of the season here, you know, he's going to take that over. Let's. Let's not send BT Potter out on the field more than we need to. We need him in the kicking game. Um, I'm really excited, actually, about Robert Gunn the third. He's a kicker that's on scholarship at Clemson. He's a true freshman. Maybe he'll get some kicking opportunities, especially if BT, you know, picks up at punter. Um, hopefully, I, I can imagine seeing Gunn on the kickoffs. Who knows? Maybe he'll he'll redshirt. We'll have to see. Um, yeah. In any event. Special teams, typically an afterthought. I think this year, hopefully, it can be a strength and an advantage to the team with Coach Mike Reed taking that position group over. Um, and hopefully, we can score some points on that side of the field, not just in the field goal game. And we got a trio of questions from a friend of the podcast, at Freight Train on Twitter. Uh, Freight Train asked, how much should we be panicking, quiet panicking, <laughs> about the defensive line for next year? Uh, let's start with that one. I'm panicking a lot less about the defensive line for for next year uh, than I was maybe six months ago based on who this team has signed in terms of this upcoming 2023 recruiting class. You got guys like Peter Woods and Vic Burley, um, both purported to be five-star. I think Peter Woods already got his five-star uh, ranking for most recruiting services. And you have David Ojigby, the edge, edge rusher out of the D.C. area. Um, these three guys are going to be plugging right in there um, and hopefully seeing some playing time next season. Then you got guys that'll still be on the team. You know, we've got Peyton page. We will most likely have guys like Trey Williams, Demonte Capehart, um, Kate Denoff, like guys that really haven't um, exploited a ton of playing time yet on the team, but are likely going to see a lot more reps this season. Hopefully I'll stay healthy and be able to do so. Um, I think we'll have a decent amount of returning talent coming back um, from upperclassmen among these names, as well as that 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 new blood coming in. Um, but what I will say is, while this year is just an embarrassment of riches and depth, next year will not have that degree of depth. So that's why I think it's really important that this team bring along all three levels of the defense in terms of experience and get a lot of the younger secondary players, the younger linebacking core, um, those those reps, because you know we we may not have. I mean, well, let's just say it. Next year's D-line is not going to be as ferocious and aggressive and talented as this year's. They're still going to be strong. This recruiting class also isn't over yet. Um, but, you know, it's not going to be as dominant as this year's class. So I think this needs to be a more balanced defense next year, hopefully supported by some of the talent the team's bringing in for 2023, as well as getting a lot of the young guys now on the roster, you know, a lot of, lot more reps this season. Let's move on to the next question. Uh, will Jaden Lucas or Toriano Pride cornerback recruits from this year's class break out like Andrew Makuba did at safety last year. Uh, corner, definitely a position where this team sure, sure does need an improvement year over year. Um, 
I guess freight train, I will say, I don't think that they will have as big an impact on this defense this year as Makuba did last year at the safety position, just based on who's ahead of them. Kind of, I don't want to call it a log jam at, at cornerback, um, but there, there are a number of talented, you know, capable corners, upperclassmen that have earned, earned playing time. And I think we'll start to see those snaps. My hope is that both those guys, you know, start to establish themselves throughout the season. Maybe Clemson can play with some leads, get them into games. Um, they can they can earn those spots and take it. So if they're not, you know, world beaters and you know, a month into the season starters, um, doesn't necessarily mean that these guys, you know, aren't going to be the cornerbacks of the future and like studs for this team. Um, I'm I, my expectation is not that they're going to light the world on fire like Makuba did last year, uh, but Makuba. For his part, I mean, he's like a generational safety talent for Clemson. Um, he's going to be up there with, you know, any any of the legends that we've seen come through. Um, hopefully, he has a career like Brian Dawkins does, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, no, I think um, you know, really pumped for Makuba, um, the safety group in particular. Like, I think you are going to see Tyler Venables see the field a good amount, um, complementing or spelling Jalen Phillips to that position at the free safety. Um, then RJ Mickens, he was um, involved a good amount last year at the strong safety position. Um, also involved in, also involved here. Um, Sherrod Koval, he's going to be a guy that I'm also looking forward to, you know, seeing seeing get some reps. I think he's really talented coming in. So uh, the future is bright in the secondary. I think the 2022 class was exceptional. I just don't know that these are going to be freshman contributors at that position group. But I think that speaks more to the talent we already have on the team, and not as much to these guys individually. And Freight Train's last question, any concerns that a true freshman is on the two deep at the Nickel Sam linebacker position? Not necessarily that he's not talented, but that no one else blocked him. Um, I think he's referring to Wade Wudaz, um, who's on that depth chart. And first of all, preseason depth chart. Like, coaches put a lot of, there's like strategy into who they put on the depth chart. They can do that to light a fire under under a guy um, by saying, no, you're an or on this depth chart, not not like secondary to somebody. Um, but the Sam linebacker or the nickel Sam, Barrett Carter's the starter, Malcolm Green or Wade Wudaz are sort of the on the two deep. Potentially that could be, you know, lighting a fire under Malcolm Green. I'm not too worried about that being, you know, being a major concern. Um, I think the Mike linebacker is a really interesting position this year for us. Jeremiah Trotter has established himself. I think is the, the day one starter, but Keith McGuire is right there, you know, on his heels. Um, and then we've all seen the body transformation that Trenton Simpson's done. He's clocked in at 6'3", 240 pounds, just crazy talented, moving over from the Sam to the Will. Um, I think we've got kind of like our prototypical guys, like, you know, Isaiah Simmons level, um, you know, talent at all three sides of the linebacker core at this point. Um, with Barrett Carter, with Jeremiah Trotter, and with Trenton Simpson. So this could be, I mean, we, we've had some legends at linebacker recently, but I think pound for pound, like across that across that row, likely to see this be one of the best linebacker teams that we've had in a really long time. Um, as far as like that, that drop off to the next guy right behind them, um, we'll just have to see. I mean, I think we do have a good amount of reps coming back in terms of Levante Bentley, Keith McGuire, uh, Malcolm Green has played all over the defense. He didn't have too phenomenal a t- 2021 season, but the dude's got all the talent in the world. So, um, you know, he's not not the biggest biggest guy either. But 
Um, anyway, I'm, I'm pretty bullish freight train on the linebacking core um, and the defense overall. So good questions for sure. Thank you for submitting those. And our last question, we're going to keep it with the defense. This comes from Jackie in Charleston. Uh, sort of a three-part question. We got a lot of those. Uh, which defensive player are you guys most excited about? Who's the MVP of the defense? And then who is a name that nobody's heard about that will be making an impact on the defense this year? Great questions, Jackie. Um, this defense is really one where you're just excited about a lot of elements of this team. Um, I think my answer for who I'm most excited about is going to be different from my answer for MVP. I am most excited about Brian Berzee coming back to this team. And there's so many talented guys on this defense. I could have gone in a lot of directions with this, but again, just he has that like stop your breath kind of impact. He can have that stop your breath kind of impact on any play, any given play. You have to account for him. And if you're accounting for Brian Brzee with the double team, that leaves Tyler Davis open. That leaves Rook if he's in on that that given snap. What does that mean for Miles Murphy? And when we get Xavier Thomas back or KJ Henry, you know, there's a lot of ways this defensive line can punish you. Um, Brian Brzee can be that head of the spear, head of the snake coming in. And um, you know, if you choose not to double him, you want to chip or double any other guys on that D-line, I don't blame you for that, but you got big boy Brian Brzee breathing down in your quarterback's neck at that point. So um, I am most excited about Brian Brzee. I would say the MVP of the defense this year is going to be Trenton Simpson. I really see him as being a vocal leader for this defense. He's going to be flying around. He's going to be you know really influential on a lot of given plays. Um, I think the reason I didn't pick a defensive lineman is just because of the degree of talent that there is up front. I don't know that any single guy on that D-line is going to establish themselves. I think they're all going to have great years. Uh, but I think when, it, when the dust settles, it's really going to be Trenton Simpson at that will linebacker position um, that is going to be the leader of this defense and really be the team MVP um, of that side of the ball. And then in terms of this is the most fun question, like who's sort of an under-the-radar kind of defensive player um, that's going to establish themselves this year? I think a year ago, the, the clear answer to that question would have been Andrew Makuba, true freshman out of Texas. I think for this year, I think I'm going to go with cornerback Nate Wiggins. Um, cornerback is a position. He's going to be playing on the same side of the ball as Fred Davis. Fred Davis, five-star corner coming out of Florida. Um, he had the memorable um, traffic violation incident last summer. Never really established himself on the field last year. <coughs> Fred Davis has a lot of talent. Maybe he's the guy that never, never lets go of that starting job this year. Um, but I think Nate Wiggins is going to be seeing the field. You're not going to be able to keep him off the field. I think he's going to make a big impact. He's probably a name that most Clemson fans don't don't know yet or you know haven't really um, familiarized themselves with. Um, and the corner position, I think people are going to just say the biggest question marks on Clemson's defense sits in that back, that back four, um, mostly at corner. Uh, you know, with Landon Zanders essentially moving on from football, I think safety is also a position where Clemson doesn't have a lot of established experience and snap counts within the depth. Uh, but either of the DB positions, I think, you know, we're going to need someone to step up and, and make a new impact this year. Um, and I, I'm picking Nate Wiggins for that one. Thank you, Jackie, for these questions. Um, thank you, everyone, for these questions. Hopefully, you know, that get, get, it gives everyone a sense for, you know, kind of throughout the team, um, what our sentiment is. A lot of talent, a lot of, a lot of really great names. Um, this is going to be a special team this year, I feel like. And again, the sky is, or the ceiling for this team, college football playoff is absolutely in the sights. In terms of looking across the ACC, you know, 
normally on this show as co-hosts we'll be making picks um i i don't know between like miami and Pitt, both teams are pretty flawed i think it's going to be one of those two that come out of the coastal we are going to face miami so maybe that extra loss to clemson is going to be enough to get someone like pittsburgh over the hump um they have keaton slovis as their quarterback who transferred from usc i know they're implementing a new offensive system there um so that's a lot of change for a team to team to bounce back from but the coastal is pretty dreadful so um, i don't think it's going to be tony elliott in year one coming out of the coastal what i would say is um who knows the coastal is so crazy like could end up being north carolina i just feel pretty once bitten twice shy from them you know they're they're very overhyped typically i think they're probably one of the more talented teams in the coastal um but not really not really seeing it i don't think they they did not impress last week against the FAMU team, um, who was pretty depleted from having ineligible players. So um, I guess why not just go with Pitt as my pick out of the Coastal. Um, in terms of who's going to win all the all the conferences in college football, I think it's going to be pretty chalky this year. Um, Michigan, I think, is a little bit underrated, but I still think Ohio State has too much returning talent. I don't think they're going to completely turn around their defense this year, so I think they are beatable. Um, but yeah, I think Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten. Um, I do not expect Texas A&M to rise up and make some noise in the SEC. I think Georgia will take a little bit of a step back, but they'll still probably be right there for the playoff caliber. Um, but I think it's going to be Bama's national championship to lose this year. They're definitely going to win the SEC. Out West here, um, whether it's USC or Utah, I don't know if USC yet has all of their pieces figured out. Um, I think they are definitely going to have a great 2023 recruiting class. Uh, but getting all that to gel on the field this year, I don't know that I see that happening, so um, might as well pick Utah, but I think the Pac-12 usually cannibalizes itself, and I think it will do so again this year, so I don't think they're going to make the playoff. Um, and yeah, I'll probably go chalk and pick Baylor out of the Big 12 as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and Alabama. Uh, the top four teams, yes, in the country right now, Like I think that's going to be the playoff. If I had to pick kind of a dark horse elsewhere um, in the top 10, I don't know, maybe like a Michigan or maybe a Baylor can Michigan can obviously take like Ohio State's place or Baylor could potentially run the table in the Big 12, you know, and make it happen. Um, I don't really see a different SEC team than Alabama or Georgia making the playoff this year. And nobody say LSU. Don't think it's going to happen with Brian Kelly. Um, and I, I, don't, I just don't trust the Pac-12 until I see it happen. Um, kind of an abbreviated preview show this year, guys. Really looking forward to getting the co-hosts back on. We'll do a little bit of a look ahead um, with those guys as well when we get everybody back. So um, wanted to get this out. Apologies for being a little bit light on the shows uh, throughout fall camp and throughout the offseason here. But football is back. We're going to be back recording regularly. We want to thank all of our loyal listeners. Wow, we are entering our eighth football season covering the Clemson Tigers football team. 2015 was our first year. We started that offseason. Um, can't believe it. So fun to do this podcast every year. We appreciate the listens. We appreciate the loyalty. Um, please tell a friend. A lot of you may be hearing this for the first time. There's a lot of other people that haven't heard us yet, so please spread the word. We do appreciate that. Follow us on social media. We post pretty regularly on our Facebook page and on Twitter. Um, engage with us. Send us your questions. Email us clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. Really looking forward to this season. Um, Clemson had a, a rough one last year. It was kind of you know, uh, it was a long season, so really happy to have another one, you know, to look forward to here. It's been a long off season. So, so happy. It's finally here. Um, thank you again for tuning in and as always go Tigers.